Well, welcome back to uh, another edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast as uh, Purdue gets set for its first road game Saturday at Syracuse. Uh, Second meeting between the programs, first one uh, back uh, uh, almost 20 years ago at Ross H Stadium on a Sunday afternoon. Purdue won that game 51 to nothing. I think that surprised a lot of people back then. Uh, and cover you know covering the game i was uh, I was a little surprised it ended up lopsided like that, but uh, completely different teams coming up Saturday, and we 're going to break down Syracuse and uh, Emily Liker, who is the uh, beat writer for syracuse dot com covers the orange and this is her first year uh, on the beat and I believe you are a recent college graduate is that correct Yes, yeah, I graduated from the University of Missouri in May. And that's uh, where journalists go to be really good journalists, right? Yeah, best journalism school in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you pick Missouri? Is, is that was that the underlying reason there, or was there something else? Um. Yeah. In the end, it was. I mean, I, I certainly I'm originally from the West Coast, so I didn't really ever envision myself spending four years in the Midwest. Um, but I went out, I happened to be out for a visit because I have family from the area and we were in town for a reunion. So some of my family members who knew it was a good journalism school forced me on a visit and I, I left my visit and I was like, I think I would be dumb not to go to Mizzou if I want to do journalism. <laughs> so well, from there, de- there it was history. So Well, good deal. And uh, it sounds like, you know, Syracuse.com has a good one and, uh, Hopefully, you have a long and illustrious career. Uh, maybe not all at Syracuse, but you know, throughout throughout the country. But anyway, let's uh, let's talk about Syracuse football. Um, I, I don't think there was a lot of buzz about this team in the off season. Uh, you know, the projections had them near the bottom of the ACC. Um, you know, I don't I don't know why that is for sure. You can you can probably explain that a little bit. But just how how have they gone from? You know, no buzz the off season to now with a chance to go three and zero and really um, light a fire on their fan base if they if they can beat Purdue on Saturday. Yeah, so I mean, you're com- you're completely correct. There was not a lot of buzz about this team outside of Sean Tucker, their star running back, heading into this season. Uh, I believe they were projected to finish at the bottom of the Atlantic uh, and near the bottom of the ACC overall and. Now they're number two in the Atlantic behind Clemson. They're, they have an ACC win already after their week one win against Louisville. So things have really, really turned around for them. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the lack of buzz just came from a really stagnant offense last year. They started the season with Illinois, now Illinois quarterback Tommy DeVito. And within four games, he was being replaced by Garrett Schrader. So they had like a midseason quarterback switch up. Just couldn't get a lot of things going. They lost several games by a touchdown or less, which really stifled them uh, and their bowl chances. Did not make a bowl at the end of the season. They finished 5-7. and seven. So it, it, there just wasn't a lot impressive outside of Tucker and the run game. And then also Syracuse's defense. But when you don't, when you don't have an offense, a, a defense, defense can't do everything so that's a lot of the reason I think people were pretty low on them coming into this season Schrader was still going to be the quarterback is still the quarterback he's really had uh expectations about him and now how he'll do the rest of the season change and so yeah now I mean looking at Purdue 
between now and their Week 7 game against NC State, Purdue is really the biggest challenge they have. So if, if Syracuse can come out of this week 3-0, and there's a very high likelihood that they, they are 5-0 and entering their NC State game uh, in early October. So was it as simple as, you know, Schrader kind of getting the control of the offense from a quarterback position and, and Tucker doing what he was doing? Or did they make some tweaks in the offseason to the offense to to really bring out the, the skill set in both of those players and some other guys? Yeah, so they the big, the big tweaks they made were on the coaching staff. They Babers kind of overhauled his coaching staff, added – Offensive coordinator Robert and I and quarterbacks coach Jason Beck, who both came from Virginia on Bronco Mendenhall's staff, were leading one of the strongest offenses in the country last season there. So they're up at Syracuse now. He's also added Michael Johnson as a wide receivers coach. He has an NFL history. Bob Ligashevsky is the special teams coordinator, also has an NFL history. So a lot of the changes we've seen in this program have just been, I think, due to the coaching switch and seeing how those guys, especially Jason Beck, how he's been able to transform Garrett Strader. I mean, it's really just been night and day. I mean, obviously I wasn't here last season to watch Strader play, but everything I've heard from everyone is that he just looks like a completely different quarterback from last season. I mean, he's always been a bit of a runner. He likes to use his feet. We've still seen that, but his arm has just improved tenfold this season and a lot of that credit has gone to to Beck. What makes Sean Tucker the dynamic player that he is? He's not he doesn't appear just to be a running back. He's a guy that can catch some passes out of the backfield and really uh, create some havoc for a defense. Yeah, I mean Sean Tucker, he he's an interesting one because he's he's a very quiet guy in front of media. Um, doesn't doesn't like to talk a lot about his process, any of that stuff, but he is an incredibly hard worker, which I know is like something people say about like every player, but he hasn't gone home since he like came to Syracuse. Like he's been up here working. He was in the weight room over Christmas break working. He ran track in the spring in addition to doing spring ball just to work on his speed and continue getting better at some things like acceleration and all of that. So he, he is just like constantly working he doesn't see like any specific end for himself like there's always something he can get better at so like even asking him like week to week like oh what did you think went well about this game or what do you think you can improve it's always just I can always improve there's never any never any uh lingering on specific plays or things he thinks he did super well he's very much a forward-thinking guy now, uh, Syracuse has a rather large offensive line. Now, are, yeah. are, are, are we looking just at big boys here, or how much? And then how much athleticism do they bring to that position? Yeah, the, the offensive line, like you said, is very big. The thing that they've had problems with the past couple years is injuries. And knock on wood for them so far this season, that hasn't been a problem. Um, they lost Chris Elmore, who was like their tight end fullback, kind of played a little bit of everywhere guy. Um, but none of their core five offensive linemen have, have had any any bang-ups so far this season. So that's good. But 
they're a, they're a decently athletic group. I mean, last season, obviously, they were creating the space for Sean Tucker to run. I think the big reason we haven't seen, like, the run game as much so far in these first two games for Syracuse is simply because opponents have had Sean Tucker's number, have known that he's the guy that they need to shut down. I don't think it's anything to do with with the offensive line. So they're they're a pretty impressive group. They're also one of the oldest position groups on campus, um, on campus, on the, in the program. So they have um, Matthew Bergeron, who's one of the team captains, uh, Chris Bleich, Carlos Vettorello, who's their center. Those guys are some of the older guys on the team as well. So they've, they've got a lot of experience in that group, which also has really helped them. They, on paper, uh, they remind me a little bit of Minnesota from an offensive line standpoint because uh, the, the Gophers have had um, lines over the last couple of years that uh, were, have, have just been enormous. And mm-hmm. that, you know, and Purdue has struggled with uh, Minnesota uh, during Jeff Brown's tenure. But when I, you know, when you're, you're looking at the heights and the weights and all that kind of stuff, they did remind me of Minnesota uh, a little bit. And I'm curious to see them in person if they, if it's just a paper similarity or if it's going to be um, a little bit more than that. But it, obviously that'll be a big challenge uh, f- uh, for Purdue coming up on Saturday to deal with all that size. Now defensively, um, we've heard a lot about the three three five, and um, is, is that a new alignment for the defense or is that something Dino has been using uh, over the last few years? So the three three five is something that defensive coordinator Tony White brought in. He was hired ahead of the twenty twenty season, so he's in his third year with the program. Um, it's a pretty under the radar defensive style. There's only a couple other coaches in the country who who use it. It was originated by Rocky Long, who has been at UCLA. He's been at New Mexico State, San Diego State. He's at he's at New Mexico State right now, actually, again. Um, so it was originated by him. It's also used by Zach Arnett down at Mississippi State. So Tony White comes from that kind of coaching family and, and brought that scheme in. So it's in its third year now. I think the players really feel like they're flourishing in it. A lot of the, the defense has been here for those three years. They started out as freshmen and sophomores in, in White's first year with the program, 2020, and now are juniors and seniors who who know what they're doing who feel a lot more confident in it and um there there really just hasn't been any any worries or any question marks surrounding the defense specifically the secondary going into this season you know when you when you play a a a funky alignment like that you know everyone thinks well there's got to be holes somewhere you know where where are they vulnerable then uh, in, in this in this alignment, and I I know it's not always three guys on the line of scrimmage. They'll they'll walk some other guys up and stuff like that. But where where could they potentially be vulnerable uh, to to an offense? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily like in terms of of like the scheme or like specific holes. But I know one thing Dino Babers has really emphasized is that. He feels like all the, the few mistakes the defense has made so far, they gave up some chunk plays against UConn, um, touchdown against Louisville, came from the defense being hesitant at moments. So he's that's like been the big thing that he's trying to crack down on is just getting them to be playing fast, which they already are, but playing fast confidently um, and, and cutting out those 
pauses and those moments that allow guys to slip out um, and, and fire off those 40, 50 yard plays. Um, in terms, I guess, more of like personnel or, or like how they line up, the defensive line was, was like the, the, the doubtful position group going into the season, but through two weeks, they, they've actually performed pretty well and there's been a high rotation of guys going in there, so it's not like there's only three that they can rely on to do something. They've had regularly like five or six players playing significant snaps in the game at the D-line. So um, I, I think, if anything, it, it's just keeping the high pressure and keeping it consistently that, that Syracuse's defense needs to maintain. Now, I believe that uh, Syracuse is one of the top cornerbacks in the ACC and maybe in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. is it, it's Garrett Williams, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, Garrett Williams. And then on the other side, kind of more of an up-and-comer, he's just a sophomore right now, uh, is Deuce Chestnut. Yeah, but what does Garrett bring uh, to this defense? And I would imagine that he would be defending you know, Purdue receiver Charlie Jones this week. What, what about him puts him in the upper level of not only the ACC, but possibly the country? Yeah, I mean, I would I would also guess that, that Williams will be who they pair against Jones, though, I mean, I, I'm sure Purdue will throw Jones all over the field any chance they can get um, to have him out there because he's a very talented player. But, yeah, I mean, Williams, he's incredibly fast. We've seen him all over the field. Um, he knows how to read offenses really well, too. Like, he had a beautiful... Um, interception in the Louisville game where he kind of had been on his man, they're in man coverage I believe, and then saw that the ball was, was dropping a little short and just read it perfectly, picked him off, and they picked Malik Cunningham off in the end zone, which obviously Malik Cunningham is one of the top quarterbacks in the ACC, or at least had been coming into this season. Um, so his football IQ is just, I think, really through the roof. And because he's been in this defense for a couple years now, he's he's really out there as, as a leader and using that, that intelligence to kind of direct the other players on the field as well. And obviously at, at cornerback, you have a, a great vantage point of kind of everything that's going on. Have they... Um... Has the defense suffered an injury or two, or am I? Did I read that wrong? Yeah, well, they lost their one of their starting linebackers, okay. Stephen Thompson, in Week One um, to a lower body injury. We're not exactly sure what it is because the team doesn't doesn't like to uh, release that. But he's out for the season. They had um, redshirt freshman Derek Derek McDonald step in. He played the entire second half of the Louisville game got an interception and then played against UConn, got the start alongside Michael Jones and Marlo Wax, who are two other very senior players on the Syracuse defense. So there there was a little bit concern a little bit of concern about losing Stephen Thompson, but I think they've managed to fill the hole well and are kind of just hoping to get him back next season and looking forward at, at what that can look like next season when he returns, but they don't seem particularly um, worried by the fact that they won't have him back at all this year. Uh, so has Dino Babers, who uh, you know is a former Purdue assistant from many years ago, <laughs> did he has he reveled everyone with stories about Purdue and, uh, and all that stuff this week? You know, not, <laughs> not 
super. I mean, he mentioned a couple things. I, I heard some stuff just from other people who have been around the program. Like, one, one whispering I heard is that his daughter has a nickname that's Purdue related. I can't remember what it is. It's but it's Buckethead. The... Yes, Buckethead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I heard that story, not from Dino, because um, there wasn't time to ask him about it this week. But I mean, he he spent most of his his press conference when asked about Purdue this week, talking about Aiden O'Connell. Right. Um, I, he's he's very high on O'Connell. He praised his accuracy praised his ability to read the field um, and get the ball where it needs to go. So when, when he was talking about Purdue, that was that was most of what he was talking about. He was trying to keep it very, very present. Right. Now, the, the Buckethead nickname comes from, uh, I believe, uh, his daughter's name's Tasha. She was actually born on the morning of the Purdue IU game, which they play for the old oak and bucket. And oh. he had to rush to the hospital and then he got back to the game so they nicknamed her uh, Buckethead so he, he shared that story uh, I believe six years ago uh, when he was the head coach of Bowling Green uh, and, they oh, came, wow. and they came in to play Purdue uh, so I, I remember talking to him that week and he again shared that story about about that but yeah he's been all over the place and uh, good to see him at a Power 5 program. So as we record this on Thursday, we're visiting with Emily Liker from Syracuse.com. Um, what, what is the buzz around town? I mean, is, is, the, ga- is the game going to be a sellout? I mean, what, you know, have the fans kind of start to rally about, rally around this team knowing, you know, what's at stake Saturday and what, you know, what that could mean for this, for this team? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure if we'll get all the way to a sellout, but I do think there will be more people there um, than there were against Louisville. They had, I think, just over 37,000 at the Dome for, for week one. Uh, capacity is up between 50 and 60, I think. So I would expect somewhere in, somewhere in the, like, 40, 45,000 range um, would be my, my educated guess now that I have a game in the Dome under my belt. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, People are a lot higher on this team than they were expecting to be two weeks into the season. I think, for the most part, if you talk with people, they are very excited and they, they see this game as kind of more more of the, the indicator of what this season could be than people were looking at at Louisville week one. I think heading into the season, everyone was like, oh, well, whoever they do against Louisville, that will be like the indicator. And then they kind of not entirely blew Louisville out, but certainly did better than everyone was thinking. And so now I think fans are looking at this game where it's like, okay, they get the win over Purdue. They have two easy wins after this, then their bye week. And then they head into the back of the season, just needing one more win to make a bowl game, which is, is pretty reasonable. Um, they still have some easy games on the back end of the schedule. I think they'll probably be, um, Notre Dame at this point. I, I'm getting higher on a Notre Dame loss every every week to grow closer with the way the Irish are performing. They also have like Boston College late in the schedule. So if Syracuse can come out or go into the bye week five and oh, I think they're they're definitely looking at a bowl game, which is everything both the university and people in this community have been wanting. Now we we we've talked a lot about uh, Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader. Who are the who are the other guys? Who are the um, who are the guys that could p- potentially make a difference in this game that maybe 
you know, haven't done a lot of great things right now, but will play key roles on Saturday. Yeah, I think we're we're kind of still waiting to see which of the wide receivers kind of shake out as top guys. Um, it's interesting talking with different programs. I know I listened to uh, Brom's press conference from earlier this week, and he had said that he he wished the the receptions were spread out a little more on Purdue and, and Favors actually feels the opposite. Like he wants one or two guys to really establish themselves as the top receivers for Syracuse. He wants to see Garrett Schrader really find a chemistry and a rhythm with a couple of receivers and, and that just hasn't really happened yet. So I'll be curious to see um there's a couple guys that, that Schrader has thrown out there as receivers he gravitates towards Courtney Jackson Devon Cooper who are also two of the older guys on the team also Trevor Pena um, who plays special teams and does a lot of great work there as well so I, I'm I'm curious to see if this game kind of forces any of them to step up a little more um, just just kind of knowing the, the pressure that's surrounding this game yeah. All right. Well, Emily Liker's been our guest today on the Bowlers Extra Podcast. She she works at Syracuse.com. What's your Twitter handle uh, so people can follow you on Saturday and beyond to get updates on the Orange? It is at E-M Liker, which is spelled L-E-I-K-E-R. And I'm sure she's a master at social media, as all the young kids as all the young kids are. <laughs> and since you just recently like recently graduated, you're still a young kid. <laughs> anyway, we appreciate you joining us today. Great insight on Syracuse uh, and what uh, what Purdue may see on Saturday, and it should be uh, should be a, a good game and a very close game because I I, I just think Purdue is going to play a bunch of close games this year. Uh, when you look at the schedule and look at their their talent level, I just think they're going to play a lot of close games, and I think Saturday is probably headed in that direction as well. And I don't know if you feel that way about Syracuse once they get in the meat of their ACC schedule, but um, this is going to be kind of an important game for both teams. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, I, I predicted I predicted it to be a dogfight, and I think uh, it'll be a good one. I'm excited. All right. Well, Emily, thanks for joining us. Uh, look forward to seeing you and meeting you on Saturday. And uh, once again, thanks thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Once again, thanks to Emily Liker from Syracuse.com, breaking down the orange um, for everyone to to kind of see what happens on Saturday. You know, I I do think this will be a close game. I think every game Purdue plays from here on out will be a close game, uh, just the way I I think it's going to go this year. Um, From an injury standpoint, I mean, you know Jalen Graham's not going to play on Saturday, probably won't play next week. Uh, with the tibia injury, uh, you know Brock Thompson's going to have to be managed all year after the off-season knee surgeries that put rods in his in his legs. Uh, he had re-injured the knee against Penn State and only played a handful of snaps uh, uh, against Indiana State. So he's, you know, we'll see what Purdue can get out of him, and um, they do need some other uh, receivers to step up because I, you know, there, there's going to be a team, and it'll probably start this week that they. You know they really try to take away Charlie Jones, and Aiden O'Connell's going to have to go elsewhere uh, to find some find some passing yardage and and open up things. And I you know I think this could be a game where Payne Durham, um, you know, shines. Um, you know he's been quiet the first uh, two games. Uh, you know last week only played a half, 
but you know, I, I think this is this could be a game for him uh, to to really you know push his push his season forward and um, you know O'Connell and Durham have great chemistry as they they've proven uh, over time but you know Purdue's defense is going to have to uh, to really you know keep you know Tucker and Schrader in check uh, can't let those two run wild um, and Purdue's probably going to have to try to find a way to run the ball uh, effectively a little bit. Uh, just to, you know, keep Syracuse's offense off the field, uh, but also create some balance there. And, you know, Purdue's a pass-first program. Jeff Brown's a pass-first coach. That's not going to change. But they do, they, do, they do need to find some, some running game uh, to kind of balance things out a little bit. Uh, they're going to be playing in a dome. Uh, it's going to be loud. Uh, they've prepared all week. Uh, inside the practice facility, uh, blaring music left and right uh, to try to deal with the noise, working on silent counts and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, they they are prepared for the noise. It's just a matter if they can they can execute it uh, or not. So this is a you know it's kind of a pivotal game in a way, a little bit for for Purdue. Uh, you want to you know they had that chance to beat Penn State, didn't do it. You know if you could get this one, you'd be two and one. Uh, have some momentum going into Florida Atlantic next week, a game that Purdue will be favored for, and then jump back into Big Ten play. But if you could win Saturday, win next Saturday, you've you, you've got some momentum going back into Big Ten play, and then then we see where Purdue stacks up in the Big Ten West uh, and, and see if they can really be be a serious contender. And then by then, maybe you get Jalen Graham back. Uh, maybe Brock Thompson's a little bit more healthier. Um, then you're more of a, a complete team uh, at that point. Uh, but in the meantime, Purdue's going to have to need, need some defensive players to step up. Chris Jefferson, as you know, moves to the nickel. Sanusi Kane is going to start at safety. You know, Cam Allen is a playmaker on defense as well. Um, and I expect him to be around the ball a lot uh, on Saturday. So thanks, to, thanks again to Emily Liker for joining us from Syracuse.com. Uh, we'll have coverage of... Uh, Purdue and Syracuse at jconline.com throughout the day uh, on Saturday. Of course, there's a lot of stories up there already. uh, But then, you know, after the game, and then we'll do a post-game wrap-up on the podcast, uh, you know, Saturday evening uh, to to share thoughts of what what happened and look ahead to homecoming next week against the Florida Atlantic. Uh, Thanks for stopping by, and have a good day.